0: I can tell you this that today the sermon I'm gonna be talking about has to do with a topic that is not very popular. In this day and age, when you hear this word, it's kind of a word that people are like, ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. And that word is servanthood. Nobody wants to really kind of always be the servant. Most people would rather be the master, the one being served, right? Because let's all be real. We like to be served. Most of us like to be. I like to be served. It's nice when you go to a restaurant, they bring you your plate. They don't say, hey, go to the kitchen, get your own food. (laughs) We like the idea of being served, but it's not a popular idea, especially in the church sometimes. I want to talk specifically about not just being a servant, but being a servant warrior, A servant warrior, what does that mean? There's an individual in the Bible by the name of Joshua that I believe is the most perfect example of what it is to be a servant warrior. Maybe you've read the book, maybe you haven't. But the reality is, is Joshua was such a servant warrior that there was only one person in the Bible that was compared to him. And that person was Jesus. They said that Joshua was the Jesus of the Old Testament. That's the level that Joshua was at. But he didn't start there. He started here. And he worked himself up to that place. So before we get into the details and the points of this sermon, let's look historically at Joshua. Joshua is part of the Old Testament. It's part of the Bible that's known as the historical books. The reality is, is that he had a heart that today is very rare. It's not hard. It's it's very hard to find someone that loves to serve whatever you need. Sure, what do you want? I'll go get it. It's a very rare trait. So what are the four characteristics? I'm going to move this because I I move around a lot and I don't want to knock this over. But um, what are the four characteristics that Joshua had that we could learn from as a church? Number one, Joshua was an assistant. He was an assistant, an aide. What does that mean? There was nothing glamorous about his position. When you think of major companies, you know the names of the CEOs of Amazon, the CEOs of Microsoft. But do you know the names of their assistants? No, nobody does really. Probably he does. Because they're there in the background. They're serving their boss to make their boss shine. And they do it because they see where the company, where the boss is going. They see the vision, and they're all behind it. They're not in charge. They don't make the decisions. But let me point something out about Joshua. Joshua was an assistant to Moses. You might think, oh, well, that's cool. Everyone needs an assistant. But Joshua was an assistant to Moses for 40 years while they were in the desert. 40 years. There's people here that are like, okay, I've been in church for four months and I want to preach. All right, you know, I've been coming to church for about, you know, four years. Let, let's, let's do something different. I want to be up there. That's not the way it works. Joshua served faithfully for 40 years. And by the way, they were in the desert. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy work. It was picking up stakes, tearing down tents, moving 20, 30 miles by foot, setting up camp again, and doing it over and over and over for 40 years. And he was their assistant. Basically, Joshua stuck by Moses' side. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 12 to 13, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. What's so special about this scripture? We're talking about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were pivotal for society because of the Ten Commandments, countries were formed. Because of the Ten Commandments, governments were established. Because of the Ten Commandments, laws were laid out across nations, across this whole world. Think about that. The Ten Commandments affected all of us. And here, God is saying, Joshua, come on, I'm about to give you the Ten Commandments. I mean, I'm sorry, he said Moses. Now look at what Moses did in verse 13. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, And Moses went up on the mountain of God. So what does that say? God told Moses, let's go. It's time. And what did Moses do? Joshua, come on. Let's go. It's time. See, Joshua was his assistant. Joshua was his right-hand man. Joshua was in the presence of God just as Moses was. Maybe not directly in the cloud of glory, right? But I'm pretty sure he was really close. Let me tell you why. Because how long was Moses up on that hill? 40 days and 40 nights. Without eating and without sleeping. We can't hang naturally. But when you're in the presence of God, when you're in the will of God, God provides for your every need. And like Joshua, if you're following the man of God, when you follow the man of God, God will take care of your need. Because Moses wasn't like, uh, you know what, John, Moses, this is taking pretty long. I got to go. I got some sheep to tend four days. Now we're going on 10 days. I got to go. I can't. No. See, he followed, he served, and he got taken care of. When you follow, when you serve, you'll be taken care of. Now, how did Joshua do this? Why was he able to do this? Well, because if you remember the history, before they got out of Egypt, they were what? Slaves. By the time Joshua became Moses' aide, it said he was still young. It said he was a young aide, the young assistant. So that means when he was in Egypt, he was probably 10 to 14 As a slave, getting whipped, getting beat, getting put down, kicked down, spit on, the slaves were not treated well in Egypt, in case we forgot. And that's what he was as a young man. Many of you have been through hard times as young people. Maybe you think back and you think, why was my life so hard when I was young? Why, why did I have to get beat? Why did I have to get put down? Why did I have to get kicked down? Why was I looked down upon? And you might think, why, God? Well, I believe it's the same reason that it happened to Joshua, because God had something prepared for Joshua, and he was going to allow those experiences to strengthen them and help them for the greatness that God has. And God has great things for you. It's not God's plan and will to hurt you. But what he'll do is he'll use those unfortunate situations to raise you up greater. He's going to make the devil wish he never messed with you. See, God was preparing Joshua for something. And Joshua one day exactly did that. He became the successor to Moses. But he wasn't able to do this without the next point. Joshua was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, hold on, pastor. That's false doctrine because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, and that's the New Testament. What do you mean Joshua had the Holy Spirit? Well, maybe you forgot or maybe you never knew. But the Holy Spirit has been around in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, he was there on day one of creation. Let's not forget about the Holy Spirit. This is what Numbers chapter 27 says in verse 18. If you could turn your Bibles there. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Eliezer the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence, Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. God was preparing him, and he what? He noticed something in Joshua. And what did he notice? He was full of the Spirit of God. But he was just an aide, he wasn't the leader. So what? God saw he was full of the Spirit. You think that only pastors are full of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit's for all of us. Well, pastor, how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in you? This is one way of knowing. There's a lot of ways, but this is one way of knowing. You will know if you are full of the Spirit, if you are not grieving the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You're hurting the Holy Spirit. What hurts the Holy Spirit? In our lives is sin when we sin the holy spirit ah doesn't like it the more we sin to the point that we're living in sin then the holy spirit's like i gotta back up and now you don't have the holy spirit power dwelling within you i'm speaking to somebody probably but if you're living in a situation that you know is not right in god's eyes you are keeping out the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit from your life. You don't want to do that. We need God's help. Now let me clarify. The Spirit can speak to you. The Spirit will even guide you if you're sinning. But the Spirit cannot dwell in you if you are living in sin. I remember before I got saved, the Holy Spirit was talking to me. I was doing some irresponsible things, and God's Spirit was speaking to me. I wasn't even coming to church, and I started feeling things in my heart, like, man, I shouldn't do this. Ooh, I shouldn't go here with this person. Oh, man, I better stop this. That wasn't my thinking. That was the Holy Spirit starting to reach out to me like he reached out to all of us. The problem is sometimes we don't want to let go of our sin, and so we keep the power of Holy Spirit out of our life. It's your choice. A New Testament example of how being full of the Holy Spirit can also be found in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. But before I get there, I do want to say this. The Spirit can fill you if you allow Him. And when you allow Him, you will walk in the power and the authority of Christ. And your battles will become easy to overcome. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. This is basically after Pentecost. Jesus rose from the dead, but his Holy Spirit came down on fire on all of the disciples. And Peter, the head of the church at the time, said this. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, so what's so special about that? He said, we're going to turn over this responsibility. You know what this responsibility was? Waiting on tables. Waiting on tables? I got to have the spirit? And I, actually, I got to be full of the spirit? Yes. What does that mean for us, church? That no matter, no matter what we find ourselves doing, Whether we're cleaning the restrooms, sweeping the floor, working in the cafe, changing diapers, taking care of the yard outside of the church, raking, whatever you're doing, be full of the Spirit of God. See, Stephen was one of those seven men. Stephen is also who we know as the first martyr of the New Testament. Stephen was not an apostle. He was not an evangelist. He wasn't a leader. He was actually chosen to serve on tables. Because at that time, the church had grown so large that they would have to feed people because they would come from so far, they didn't want to send them away without any food. So that was part of their ministry. So what happened with Stephen? He was full of the Spirit of God, and because he was full of the Spirit of God, none of the Jewish priests can debate him and win. And they got so mad and so frustrated that they had to lie on him in order to shut him up, because ultimately they stoned him because of a lie that they told. And what was he? He was full of the Spirit as he waited on tables, and you know what happened? He was acknowledged by Christ Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus stood as he died out of respect for being the first man to die for the name of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon stated this, it is requisite we should have someone to guide us, some good books and some good men but above all, the spirit of grace. Are you allowing the spirit of God to guide you? Or are you, do, are you just turning to books? Or are you just turning on to your podcast? Who is guiding you? Is the word of God guiding you? Is the spirit of God guiding you? Where are you getting your direction? Now Joshua, his third point here, was also a man of prayer. When Moses went into the tabernacle as his aide, Joshua would join him like a bodyguard. The tabernacle was like a tent. It was like a church made of tent material. And they would put it up, and Moses would go in, and he would pray and seek God for the whole Israelite community. But he would go with Joshua. Joshua was his bodyguard. Joshua was there to make sure Moses was okay. Remember, he was his aide. And when Moses was done praying, even though Moses left the tent, Joshua would stay and pray. Exodus chapter 33, verse 9 through 11 says, As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses, Now, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped also, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But catch this. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. The power of God, the presence of God was so thick that Joshua was like, It's all good, Moses, do your thing. I'm gonna stay right here because God is still here. I am not leaving. I want some of this. Let me ask you this question, church. Do you pray? Do you pray to the point where it's so good you don't wanna get up? Do you pray to the point where you're like, I'm not done praying, I'm gonna keep going? Or do you have a 10 minute alarm? Oh, time's up. Gotta go. And I know we get busy. I know we get busy with life, with work. The baby's crying. Someone's at the door. But make time for God, make time for the presence of God. It's a beautiful place to be, church. It's a beautiful place to be, so beautiful that Joshua was like, hey, man, the cloud is still here, Moses. If it's cool with you, I'm staying. You know, when your pastor prays, a lot of times, okay, we'll pray with you, which we should. But you know what our pastors really want? Is that we keep praying when they don't know we're there. When they don't see you praying, are you praying Do they have confidence in their church that you know what? I don't need to see my church praying. I know they pray because I feel their prayers. Here's another question Do you come alongside your Moses? And you know who your Moses is? Pastor Richard and Sister Nancy. There are Moses. There are Moses. When they say, Church, it's time to pray, are we like, Yes, let's go? Or are we like, well, like I said, I got to watch the sheep. I got to tend to things at my house. I'll leave the praying to you, pastor. That's not the truth. That's not biblical. As a matter of fact, if that was biblical, Moses would have told Joshua, hey, I'm going up to the mountain. I'll be back. But no, he said, Joshua, come on. You know, that's what our pastors want. They want us to follow them in the prayer that they have for this church, for this community, for our lives, our families' lives, those that still need to get saved. See, Joshua treasured the presence of God. He treasured it so much, he wanted to stay. It was in his prayer life that he met God. You know, many times Christians struggle because... God doesn't help me. God doesn't do this for me. I'm going through trials, and I don't know what's going on. I challenge you with this question. Are you praying? Are you in prayer? Are you in prayer to the point where you're waiting to hear from God? Or are you just like, well, my pastor's done, so I guess I'm done. And let me tell you, just because you think he's done doesn't mean he's not praying elsewhere. They pray constantly. Like Peter said, we are devoting ourselves to the word and to prayer. That's what they do. And because he had a personal relationship with God, he was able to continue into the next chapter of his life. And that next chapter of his life was that Joshua was a victorious warrior, he was a fighter. And that's how we remember him, right? When we watch the movies. We see Joshua, a man's man, pulling out the sword. Let's go. Come on. You know, all the guys get pumped up. Yeah, that's right. That's cool. But see, don't forget, before he was there, he was an aide. Before he was there, he was a prayer warrior. Men, men, if I can speak to the men, this is where we need to be. We need to be willing to serve if we want our families to follow. We need to be willing to pray. If we want to see God fulfill his will in our lives and our families' lives, it's not going to happen by just jumping into the battle. Cuz we'll get tossed up. Because we don't have that Holy Ghost fire. We don't have that Holy Ghost power. It's going to be kind of like this picture that I show up here. Because see, Joshua when he went up against the enemy, he was the man barefooted against other army states that had chariots, that had horses, and they had none of that. The odds don't look like they're in Joshua's favor, but yet Joshua won. It's kind of like a small army going up against a huge, huge, massive army. Who do you think is going to win? Well, in this case, Joshua was a small army. Israel was the small army, and God was saying, "Go over there and take care of those huge armies 10 times your size." Israel's army was a small army compared to most armies of the day. It was so small, it was, the ratio says that scholars have found the ratio was 17 army people in the army versus four. So take four of your, four of your closest friends and go up against 17 people. Who do you think is going to win? I know some of you are probably like, no, I'll take them. (laughs) But the reality is, is you're going to get hurt. Or let's put it in a more realistic perspective. 50,000 of the enemy versus 12,000 of Israel. Huge disparities. Bad odds. It's like Norwalk Church going up against all the Marines at Camp Pendleton. Good luck. Many times, life is this way with us, though the odds are stacked against us. Your boss is coming against you. Your spouse may be coming against you. Your kids may be coming against you. The odds in your bank account are coming against you. (laughs) Maybe it's even the odds that the doctor is giving you. The chances of this are, and they don't look good. Can I encourage you today? Amen. Jeremiah 119 says, They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. That's what God told Joshua. Get in there. You're going to win. And Joshua was like, I don't even need to know the odds. If you said I'm going to win, I'm going to win. Now, I love this next scripture. Because it comes from our Lord and Savior, Luke, chapter 10, verse 18 to 19. Jesus says this powerful statement I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing will harm you. What does that say? Don't fear the devil. Jesus is saying, I kicked him out of heaven like nothing. It was no big thing. And he's saying, and by the way, I'm giving you that same authority to kick the devil out of your life, kick the devil out of your marriage, kick the devil out of your finances, kick the devil out of your situation, kick the devil out of your health. Rebuke it. Cast it out. And not just the devil, but all the snakes and scorpions. You know what those are? Those are his demons. You have authority over all of that. But my question is, are you in the spirit? Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're going to have a hard time. Joshua was full of the spirit, remember? That's how God recognized Joshua. Give me Joshua, son of Nun, the man in whom is the spirit. See, God is looking for the Spirit in us. He is looking for people to use, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, He's going to pass you over. Why? Because it's no joke. It's a battle, and God's not going to throw you into a battle if you're not prepared. So how was Joshua so victorious with such few numbers? Well, because he constantly heard God's voice. He prayed constantly. He sought the face of God constantly. Well, how do you know that? Because it says right here in Joshua 3, 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 4, 15, then the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 5, 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 6, 2, then the Lord said to Joshua. They were having conversations. Are you having conversations with God? are you? If you're not, today is a day to start. Because when God starts to speak to you, you're going to know which way to go. You're going to know which way not to go. You're going to know where and who you need to do things with or not do things with. Because God's going to tell you, hold on, not right now, maybe later. See, God was communicating with Joshua Because Joshua was communicating with him. Sometimes we think God has to give us a sign. Okay, God, I'm going to walk down the street, and if a dove doesn't land in front of me, then you're not speaking to me. When God's like, I already told you. Jesus says that I taught my disciples to pray, and this is how to do it. Our Father who art in heaven, he taught us to pray for a reason so that we can seek him Because what does Jesus say? Don't seek signs, seek him. And before he was victorious in battle, before he got to that third level, he was battling on his knees. He was battling on his knees while he was a slave. He was battling on his knees while he was a servant. He was battling on his knees while he was was the aide to Moses. Moses. My question is, are we battling on our knees? He learned this by being mentored by Moses, who was in constant prayer. Who's mentoring you? Do they pray? If you're hanging around people that have no spiritual life, don't expect to be spirit filled. If you're not being mentored by someone that seeks the Lord, don't expect to go far in your walk with God. Joshua had it right. He was like, hey, Moses, you're going? I'm going. I don't care how long. Let's do this. Let's go. Up the mountain? Cool. He didn't ask questions. He didn't say, well, how long, Moses? Because, you know, I got things to take care of. Remember, I got some sheep and goats I got to watch out for. You know, I got a little field over here. No. He was, let's do this. And he just went. Remember, we're talking about becoming servant warriors. And are you willing to follow your Moses? Because that's a perfect example in Joshua's life. I challenge you, church. I challenge you. Follow your Moses, Pastor Richard and Sister Nancy. They're there because God has put them there. God is speaking to them. Just like Joshua trusted in Moses, trust in your pastors. God will bless you. So what was the result of Joshua having these characteristics? Joshua had a faithful army behind him. And when it came time for him as a leader to say, I need some spies to go into Jericho, guess what? He had some spies to go into Jericho. But let me tell you why that was so easy for him. Because when he was under Moses, Moses also said, I need some spies to spy out the land. Who can I call? And Joshua was like, I'll go. (laughs) Caleb was like, I'll go. Remember, the only two good reports that came back were from Joshua and Caleb. See, he was not asking his men to do something that he didn't already do. Many times people in the church think, why is the pastor asking us to do this? I don't need to see him doing that. Let me tell you something, they've put in their work. Just because you don't see it and just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it hasn't happened. They have put in their work, and if they're asking you to do something, it's most likely because they've already done it. And when they attacked Jericho, by the way, the army was willing to do things that really didn't make sense. Why? Because they trusted Joshua. Why? Because Joshua had trusted Moses. Do you see how it goes? What do you mean we've got to march around this wall for seven days? Are you kidding me? What do you mean on the last day I got to shout? That's dumb. I'm a warrior. I'm not going to yell. But see, they didn't question Joshua because they were like, oh, no, Joshua, he's praying. So we know he's doing something with God and God must be directing him. Okay, we'll, we'll shout. We'll do whatever you want. We'll march. Whatever you want. They didn't question him. My question to you is, are you behind your Moses, or are you going to question everything they ask you to do? Or are you going to have doubts about everything and maybe the direction that the church is going in? See, he and Sister Nancy want to take you into the promised land. That's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to take you back into slavery. Yeah, there's going to be work, but the victory is yours. You just have to do what God said we have to do, which is serve, submit, be willing to start at the bottom. Servant warriors. You have to be willing to serve, you have to be willing to pray, and you have to be willing to fight in order to become a servant warrior. At this time, if I can call up the worship team, I have a couple items here that I would like to talk about. Now, these items all have a, uh, a meaning, a purpose. They represent something. The first one I have here is a mallet. For those of you who don't know what this is, this is not what you hurt your husband with, Okay. This was used to, to, to pound in the stakes that would hold up these massive tents. Remember, then they had to move. They would pull them up, walk 10 miles. Oh, we're going to stop here. Moses said, pound in the stakes. Represents service. Willingness to serve. Then you have the staff. Moses' staff. It was a sign of his leadership. It's also powerful because with this same staff, he parted the Red Sea. There was power and authority in Moses. And that's what this staff represents. And then we have a sword. The sword represents the fight. The good fight of faith. It represents being willing to fight for the Lord. If I can call the three individuals that I ask to come on up. You know, these are all tools that represent a servant, a warrior. And these are all things we should aspire to one day have. I'm going to ask you that are here, let's give Cosby and Rocky and Pastor Edwin a hand. Eddie, a hand. Amen. Go ahead and choose your tool or weapon. Choose whatever you want. What stands out to you. What you want. All right. Okay. So I'm going to ask Rocky here. Why did you choose the mallet? Because I want to work for the Lord. Whoa. I want to work for the Lord. I said it in the first service. I'm going to say it again. I need some young men in our church to work for the Lord like Rocky. Amen. And I believe God's going to bring them. Sister Cosby, why did you choose the staff? Because I want to lead women in God's kingdom. Oh, amen. Did you hear that, ladies? God wants to use you in God's kingdom. Pastor Eddie. I chose the sword because the sword's a weapon. And we're in a fight for the kingdom of God. That's why I chose it. Woo, amen. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you so much. They did a great job. But I do want to point one thing out. As necessary as all these items are, and as necessary as we need all of these items as Servant Warriors... You're not going to be able to get there until you start here. Until you start in prayer, until you start to bow the knee before the King of Kings like Joshua did, like Moses did. The victory didn't come automatically, it came when they fought on their knees. It came when Moses was in the desert for 40 years. God was preparing them, preparing the army so that they could get up and serve and fight and lead and walk into the destiny that God had for them. If we could bow our heads, church.